As we prepare to read God's holy and errant, infallible word, let us turn to the Lord again in prayer and ask him to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, your word became flesh and dwelt among us. Through him who is the image of the invisible God, you have been revealed to us that we might know your goodness and be led in your truth. Reveal yourself to us now. As we read and meditate on your written word, we might be strengthened in our faith and prepared for the coming again of Jesus Christ in glory. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 56. Hear the word of the Lord, it is written. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This morning we begin our sermon series through the seasons of Advent and Christmas on the songs of the Nativity from Luke's Gospel. There are four songs that we find in the first two chapters of Luke. They are the first Christmas carols, if you will. And we're probably familiar with this one that we are meditating on this morning and that we will also be looking at next Sunday, which we call the Magnificent. Later in the first chapter, we find Zachariah's prophecy, which we might not be as familiar with, sometimes referred to as the Benedictus. And then in chapter two, we find the angel's song, a song at Jesus' birth before the shepherds, the Gloria in Excelsis. And finally, Simeon's song at the presentation of the baby Jesus in the temple, sometimes referred to as the Nunc Dimittis. We'll spend time in each of these four songs over the next few weeks, for these songs have been noted to have nourished the prayer and meditation of countless Christians over the centuries and enrich the church's worship. They are full of prophetic hope, eager expectation, and joyful thanksgiving. And even as these songs anticipate and acclaim the birth of Jesus Christ, they provide spiritual nourishment for us who not only remember and celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ in the incarnation, but who also acknowledge and await the coming again of Jesus Christ in glory. 
Now, many of you are very familiar with the nativity story. You've heard it countless times, but allow me to give a little refresher background info before we look at our specific text for this morning. In order that we are aware of the context in which this song is sung by Mary. Luke's gospel opens with Zechariah, who's going about his priestly duties in the temple when the angel Gabriel appears to him and announces that his barren wife Elizabeth will bear a son who shall be called John. He will later be known as John the Baptist. Gabriel tells Zechariah that his son will be great before the Lord and will prepare God's people for the coming Messiah. This message is more than Zechariah can handle, though, so he requests a sign to confirm this message. Gabriel instead tells him that due to his unbelief, he will be unable to speak until John is born. And just as Gabriel has declared, Zechariah finds himself mute, and Elizabeth becomes pregnant with a child. Several months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel appears to a young virgin named Mary, who is living in a tiny town called Nazareth and is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Gabriel announces to Mary that she too will conceive in her womb a son who will be named Jesus. Jesus, Gabriel tells Mary, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the promised Messiah who the prophets foretold hundreds of years earlier, and in fact, who was spoken of all the way back in Genesis 3 when the serpent is told that the seed of the woman would bruise his head. This is indeed good news of great joy that the time had come for the Messiah. But Mary asked Gabriel how this will be that she will conceive a son since she is a virgin. And Gabriel responds by telling Mary that all of this will come to be by the power of God and the Holy Spirit. And Gabriel also tells Mary that her relative Elizabeth, who was barren, has also conceived and that nothing is impossible with God. So Mary receives this news in faith. And Luke tells us that Mary arose and went with haste to the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth and Mary greeted one another, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. And Elizabeth shares this with Mary and declares Mary to be blessed which sets the scene for Mary's song. It's in this context that this song is sung. And as we examine the first few lines of this song this morning, we find that it is indeed an appropriate text to be looking at on this Sunday after Thanksgiving and on this Sunday, which is the first Sunday of Advent. It's both a song of thanksgiving for what the Lord has done in his condescending to us in Jesus Christ in a hymn of praise for who he is as the God of deliverance. We see here in these lyrics Mary's readiness to sing of God's goodness to her and his faithfulness to fulfill his promises to Israel. Now, the title that's been attributed to this song, the title that we might know it by, the Magnificat, it comes from the Latin translation of the Greek word we find here in the English as magnify, my soul 
Mary sings, magnifies the Lord. The Greek word itself means to make great, to praise, to extol. Now, obviously, we don't make God great. We can't in any way add to God's greatness. But this isn't what the word is suggesting. What we can do is speak of God, exalt him in our lives in a manner that reveals him as he truly is. So what we are doing when we magnify God isn't like what a microscope does, making a small object appear larger than it is, but rather like what a telescope does, making a distant object, which might appear small to the naked eye, appear in a more accurate manner to the reality of its being. When we look at the moon, for instance, through a telescope, we see how large it really is. We can see the shapes and contours of its surface. We get a more perfect picture of what the moon is. It's magnified in our, in our sight. And anyone who's looked at the moon through a telescope probably has stopped and stood in awe at its splendor. Mary is, by her song, magnifying God. She is showing the truth of who he is by telling of his faithfulness, his goodness, his love. And as much as words allow, she is revealing just how great and gracious and beautiful he really is, which should create in our hearts awe for him. So the Greek word here is translated into the English as magnify because this is exactly what Mary is doing. And Magnificat is an appropriate title for the song as a whole because at its root, the whole thing is magnifying God for what he has done and what he's going to do. And the remarkable thing that this song reveals is how God has chosen to receive glory and be magnified. It isn't through what one might expect, through the great things of this world. It isn't through the rich and the powerful, but it's through the poor and weak. God chooses the foolish, what is foolish in the world, to shame the wise. He chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He casts down the mighty and exalts the weak. As one pastor and Christian author notes, Christmas turns the world upside down. More on that next week. But for this morning, we don't want to simply recognize that God is magnified by showing himself to be strong in the weak things of the world, but we want to understand how God is magnified through these things. So I want to note three things about Mary's song that I hope will help us to give glory to God as we celebrate Advent and Christmas this year and as we seek to prepare for the coming of Christ, not just in this season, but in every season of our lives. These three things should be easy to remember. They all start with the letter H. Humility, honor, and hope. Humility, honor, and hope. So first, Mary's song reveals the importance of deep humility. From the very beginning of the song, she acknowledges that the ground for her magnifying God and rejoicing in God is that he has chosen to use her for his great purposes despite her weakness and insignificance in this world. 
She's giving thanks to God in this song because she recognizes herself as being of a low estate. In verse 48, she sings, For he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary wasn't wealthy. She didn't come from a position of power. She didn't come from a notable family or a well-known city. In fact, she came from the exact opposite. She was from a low socioeconomic position. She was well aware that there was no immediate reason why she would be the object of special attention from God. But it was not only this. She calls God her Savior in the opening line of the song. She recognizes then that not only is she a nobody in her socioeconomic standing, but also that she isn't free from sin. She's acknowledging here her need of salvation. So Mary reveals through this song her unworthiness before man and before God. And as she approaches God, she does so in deep humility. It's a humility that God looks upon with favor. But even as Mary exemplifies humility before God, this song is meant to reveal to us that Jesus Christ comes for all who are like Mary. She later sings that those of a humble estate will be exalted and the hungry will be filled with good things. These are the ones God comes for when he comes in Jesus Christ. Explaining to the scribes why he's eating with sinners, Jesus says those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It isn't for those who are filled with pride. It isn't for those who consider themselves to be self-sufficient because of their wealth or their strength or their social status. Rather, it is those who are poor in spirit who are saved by Jesus Christ. Those who acknowledge their weakness, who confess that they are nothing before the Lord, who recognize their neediness, who cry out to God for mercy. And so if we want Christ to be born in us, then we must approach God with humility as Mary did. Not only this, though, the song is not simply showing us that it is the humble who will be exalted by God, but through the humble, God is magnified. The reality is that the more humble we are, the more glory God receives. As John's Gospel records John the Baptist saying, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the bride, who has the bride, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And then John says this, He must increase but I must decrease. It is about death to self, death to pride, death to the demand for self-sufficiency, death to self-righteousness, that Christ might be alive in us and glorified through us. And this is what Mary is doing here. She is decreasing that God might increase. She's acknowledging her smallness to show forth God's greatness. So God not only comes to the weak and the humble, he uses the weak and the humble to demonstrate his might. 
And Mary's song teaches us that when we are honored by God, when we are shown grace and favor by God, we should not use it as an opportunity to become puffed with pride, but to give him the glory. It shouldn't be a moment that we seek glory for ourselves, that we seek to be honored for our favored position, but it should be a moment in which we point others to God, that he might receive glory for showing his greatness through us. As Charles Spurgeon urges, the more God gives thee, the more do thou magnify him and not thyself. Be this thy rule, he must increase, but I must decrease. Be thou less and less. Be thou the Lord's humble handmaid, yet bold and confident in thy praise of him who hath done for thee great things. Henceforth and forevermore, let this be the one description of thy life. My soul doth magnify the Lord. I have nothing else to do anymore but to magnify him and to rejoice in God, my Savior. Dearly beloved, Advent is a time for us to grow in humility before the Lord, in order that Christ might be found in us and us in him when he returns, and in order that God might be glorified in our lives in the meantime. Second, Mary's song reveals the honor which is due to God. Even as the song reveals the humility of Mary, Mary is not the subject of the song. She isn't singing about herself for the sake of exalting herself. Even in these first few verses, as she sings that all generations will call her blessed, it is in reference to what God had done for her and was doing through her. After all, her blessedness wasn't because of anything that was intrinsic to her nature. It wasn't because of her worthiness, her holiness. She isn't called blessed because of her piety, although she did demonstrate a remarkable faith in believing this word that Gabriel brought her. Mary had responded to Gabriel's message to her, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It takes incredible faith to be able to utter words like that out of the depth of your being and there is a lesson to us about having faith like Mary's but even Mary's faith as noteworthy as it seems is not the focus of this song she's blessed not because of who she is but because of who God is and because of who this child is that she carries the child would be greater than any other child in human history So Mary's recognition of her blessedness is nothing more than an acknowledgement of God's greatness to use her in this way. Just look at who Mary professes God to be in the first few lines of her song. We've already seen that she calls him her Savior, but look at verse 49. She also declares God to be mighty. Just as God had shown himself to be in the Old Testament, he is the deliverer of his people. He fights on their behalf. He worked wonders for them when he led them out of Egypt. He provided for them, protected them, and established them as his people. And now God, as the mighty one, is doing great things once more. Being born through a virgin to dwell among us and deliver us from bondage to sin and death. Mary also says in verse 49 that God's name is holy. Mary's saying this not simply because God is 
set apart in moral perfection from his creation, but because he is revealing himself to be the sovereign ruler who is faithful to his promises. His name is holy because he is a God who is acting in accordance to his righteousness and justice to uphold his covenant, saving the humble and lowly and bringing judgment upon the unrighteous and arrogant. And so the focus of the song isn't herself. We shouldn't misread the lyrics to say that Mary is in any way being venerated here. The focus of her song is really about who God is and about what he has done for her. As a means to magnify God and to give him the honor which he is rightly due, the song is proclaiming the excellencies of who God is and what he has done in love, that he has condescended to us. And Mary knows that things will never be the same because of it. This is why she sings, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Again, it isn't meant to draw attention to herself. She will be called blessed, but it is because of her relation to the son that she carries in her womb. It is to Jesus who she means to point. And because of him, nothing will ever be the same. God is acting here in a decisive way to work out his plan of salvation. And condescending to the earth and coming down to earth, he would bring up to heaven all those who are humble before him. So we would be very sadly mistaken if we thought this song is limited to Mary and her experience of God. Her blessedness before God and her unique position as the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. It might seem like that at first glance since it challenges us to consider Mary's blessedness. And we should meditate on that. It was indeed a great honor and blessing that she had been given by God to bear the Son of the Most High in her womb. As the angel Gabriel had announced to her. Imagine the thought of it. To carry and give birth to the Messiah. As Jonathan Edwards said, how great a privilege was it to this young virgin to conceive in her womb and hold in her arms and suckle at her breast a child who was the son of the highest, who was the great and eternal and infinitely beloved son of God, the creator and mighty governor of heaven and earth and the great savior of mankind. It was a tremendous blessing from God to be given this privilege. And when he came, the angel Gabriel declared this blessedness to Mary. He greets her by calling her the favored one. She has been favored by God and blessed to be chosen by God's sovereign will to be the bearer of the Messiah. It isn't in the ESV, but some manuscripts add to Gabriel's greeting, blessed are you among women. And this is repeated by Elizabeth when Mary goes to visit her. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And this blessedness isn't lost on Mary. We see it revealed in her song. But we should not fail to realize that Mary isn't the only one who is blessed through God's condescension in Jesus Christ. In fact, later in Luke's gospel, in chapter 11, Jesus is confronted by a woman who says to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And Jesus responds in in astonishing way he says to her blessed rather 
are those who hear the word of God and keep it. As great a blessing it is to bear God incarnate, Jesus says that more blessed are those who hear his word and keep it. Why? Because it is those who hear his word and obey it who love Jesus Christ. And those who love Jesus Christ are those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ and are his disciples. And those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ and are his disciples are those who have been claimed by God as his children and receive all of the inheritance that is theirs in Jesus Christ. It is these beloved children of God that Jesus speaks the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The gospel tells us that the greatest blessings lie with those who belong to God in Jesus Christ. This means that even though it was through Mary's womb that Jesus, the Son of the Most High, was brought into this world, which is by no means a small or insignificant thing, the greater blessing is not to have Jesus in your womb, but to have Jesus in your heart. Do we understand this? So if we think it's only mess. Mary, who has something to sing praise to God about, then we have seriously missed the good news that comes in this baby born to Mary and which is received by all those who place their faith in him. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. He lives within us as within a temple and reigns within us as in a palace. And if we be partakers of the Holy Ghost, what more can we desire by way of favor from God and what greater honor can be bestowed upon us? Mary's song then can be and should be sung by all of God's children. We too have been greatly honored by God in his saving us and making us his own. We too can call him mighty who has done great things for us. We too can say of him, holy is his name. So we should make it our life's ambition to give him the honor which he is due and magnify him through our praise. For there is no greater task for us while we await the return of Christ. As Spurgeon states, dear friends, albeit that this magnifying of the Lord is an occupation to be taken up by all Christians, do not let us think little of it. To magnify the Lord seems to me the grandest thing we mortals do. For as I have already said, it is the occupation of heaven. When the saints of the Most High pass into their glorified state, they have nothing else to do but to magnify the Lord. Therefore, Advent is a time for us to grow in honoring, giving honor to God in order that we might be prepared for spending eternity in his presence. So Mary's song reveals the importance of humility before God and the importance of giving honor to God that he is due. Third and finally, Mary's song reveals the hope that all who trust in God should have. Mary's song not only looks to what God has done, but to what God will do. God has shown Mary great favor by choosing her as the mother of the Messiah, but Mary receives the announcement from the angel Gabriel of the birth of a Savior in faith. The baby has not yet been born. 
The power and presence of God in him has not yet been revealed. His atoning death and victorious resurrection have not yet been accomplished. And yet, Mary calls God her Savior. She trusts the promise that God has given to her through the angel Gabriel. Her song then is sung over in unborn mercy. So Mary demonstrates to us here how to sing over what is yet to be. Last Sunday, we discussed giving thanks and praising God for what he has done. And there are some, as the miracle of the healing of the ten lepers show, who have difficulty giving thanks and glorifying God for what he has already done. It should strike us as significant then that Mary sings over what hasn't even happened yet. Her song is praising God for promises which are yet to be fulfilled. Notice that even in her lowly estate, even in the dire circumstances that she and her people find themselves in, there is great hope. And I love what Spurgeon says about this aspect of Mary's song. He said, we shall have troubles, but our soul doth magnify the Lord, for she foresees that we shall ride out all storms with Jesus at the helm and come safe into port. Our anxious eye foresees necessities, but our soul doth magnify the Lord, for she sees him with a golden key opening the treasures of David and supplying all her wants. Our troubled ear can hear the wolf, but our soul doth magnify the Lord, for she sings, the Lord is my shepherd and he will preserve me. And then Spurgeon even adds, in this spirit, you may look forward to the swellings of Jordan, magnifying the living God while you yourself lie down to die. And we may, just as Mary did, magnify the Lord in the sure and certain hope of the promises that he has offered to us. Despite the circumstances around us, despite how dire things might look, despite the appearance that God is not at work, we can in faith be sure that he is working out all things according to his good purposes. And he promises us that by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, evil has been defeated, sin has been forgiven, and death has been overcome. He promises that Jesus Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to set all things right, to make every sad thing become untrue. And this is what we remember and look forward to during this season of Advent. It's a season to long for Christ coming and to wait patiently for it. But in our waiting, there should be joyful worshiping. And there should be magnifying the Lord, showing how great he truly is to all the world around us. We are not to be downcast in our waiting. The promises of God should fill us with joyful hope as they did Mary. Even though we feel as though there is nothing to sing about today, we should be singing about what is to come tomorrow. When the world is dreary, think of the next. When we feel like aliens, consider the day when we will be brought into our Father's house as his beloved children, citizens of his kingdom, rulers with Christ. When the world is dark, sing over the world that is to come, where there will be no need for a sun or moon or stars because God will be our light. Mary was able in faith to see this world that is to come, and 
so should we. And we should rejoice over the salvation that has come and is still coming. This is why this is a season of joy. Even as there is death all around us and the world turns gray and dreary, we know the greater reality. Death has been defeated. New life has come. And when we rejoice in this reality, we magnify God. So as we enter into this Advent season, my prayer would be that we would sing with Mary this song that we would approach God with all humility and sing to him a song of praise and thanksgiving. That would be a song that honors him for who he is and what he has done, even as it looks forward to what he will do. And I pray that it would be a song that would well up from deep inside our souls as it does with Mary, that it would be our heart song sung to a wonderful and gracious God. And to him be all the glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, our souls magnify you, our Lord, and our spirits rejoice in you, the God, our God and our Savior. Lord, we pray that you would help us to come before you with all humility that you would help us to worship you in a way that gives honor to you, that magnifies you, that shows you as you truly are. We pray that you would help us to have eyes to see what is to come, to know that what is before us is temporal and fading. Lord, but what only eyes of faith can see is eternal. Help us to put our hope in that reality. Help us to put our faith in Jesus Christ, the God who comes and dwells among us. And to all praise and honor be to him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Nicene Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, 
who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.